Hello everybody and welcome to GASH, Girls Are Superheroes. My name is Gloria Walker and I am your host in this brand new podcast where I get to talk to really rad ladies about really rad ladies. In this episode that you're about to hear, I get to speak to Michelle Nicolaisen. Michelle is a content creator, a writer who's working on her trilogy, and a podcast creator. And you can actually hear me on another podcast called Serendipity City, where she is the dungeon master, and I play a really potty mouth wizard named Vexville Mall, who has a secret heart of gold that no one knows about. I don't want to hold you up, so here is Michelle and what she has to say about herself. Hi, Gloria. Thank you for having me today. Uh, I am just in awe of Michelle with all of the things that she does. She's a freelance writer. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I moved down to Texas, which was in 2009, I think I had this whole plan to like slowly transition into freelancing because in Missouri, the economic recession had not really hit yet. And then I moved down here and I was like, oh, I'll just get a retail job like I've been doing and slowly transition into freelancing. And the job market was, of course, absolutely terrible <laughs> yeah so i think at that time i was working in for in uh retail at the time and uh i worked at the apple store for a few months and then i worked at fries which was the <laughs> don't work at fries ever especially if you're a woman just don't do it it was the worst they actually had a pool to see who would sleep with me first oh my god that's it's super fucked horrifying. up. And the worst part is, is that I didn't sleep with anyone, but I still didn't get the money. Like, yeah. I feel like if I don't sleep with anybody, they should give me the money. Yeah. Man. <laughs> so. Oh, man. Yeah. So I started, I just started freelancing um, right away. And now it's like, I've been freelancing for, I guess, almost 10 years now. It's been like a long time. So I've been freelancing for most of my adult career. And I started out freelance writing and then I got burned out on that and did freelance project management. And then I went back to freelance writing in 2014-ish, uh, 2013-2014, after having a six months of like the worst job at an agency um, where the owner was like, unstable but also on drugs which is not a great combination most agency owners if we're gonna be fair (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) apparently like apparently most agency owners like uh in austin are all doing various drugs um and buying them off of their employees it's like that weird like salesperson mentality like they they're very salesy and so i mean yeah i wouldn't be surprised if many of them were on uppers (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, well, and it was, like, this whole thing, because um, she was mixing, she would, like, drink constantly, she kept trying to get me to start drinking screwdrivers at, like, 1 p.m. at work, and... This isn't Mad Men. Like, <laughs> and she would also get high in her office, like, smoking weed, and, like, and, and she was buying, um, she was on ADHD medication, and fired an assistant because she wouldn't properly like doctor shop for her because she was trying to get more. So she then she started buying um, like Vivance or Ritalin, um, something that's like a, a stimulant from one yeah. of the employees because she was her prescription ran out. And at the time, I had a lot of medical problems, or I mean, I still have medical problems, but I was like in and out of the doctors, and she was just like are you getting any good prescriptions? Can I buy them? I'll buy them. If you like, if you'll, and she tried to give me Ambien at one point. Like that's the opposite. (laughs) Man. So then you decided you should probably freelance. Yeah. I was like, I'm going back to freelancing. The the whole reason that I've got a job was because freelancing was stressful and this is not any less stressful. Um, so there's that. 
that's like basically my freelancing journey in a nutshell. Um, and then, I've been doing that since then. Yeah. And then you, because you've been freelancing so long, you created the freelancer planner. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. So in 2015, um, like, July of 2015 I launched a Kickstarter to do the freelancer planner um, because like one of the things that I noticed when I got super burned out on freelancing and then like came back to it and was being really intentional about how I was doing it was that I had this like horrible system that involved like a wall calendar and like three moleskins to try and keep track of where I was booking clients and how far booked out I was and like so I had this horrible system of like three different notebooks and a wall calendar to keep track and like a printable that I like hacked together myself I'm not a designer it was not pretty um to keep track of like where I was at with my income goals for the month and how I was doing client bookings and after like six months of using this I was like this is ridiculous that there's nothing like this on the market like something depending on who you talk to and how you define freelancing something like 25 to 35 percent of the of the workforce is freelancing right now and it's supposed to hit as high as like 40 to 45 percent in the next five to seven years but there's like all of the planners that are available for freelancers are literally it's like it's a it's a fucking calendar with like inspirational quotes about entrepreneurship on them and it's like this is not yeah that's not helping me yeah like this doesn't if you don't already know how to plan everything and what metrics you should be tracking and why and how, like this calendar is not going to do anything for you. Yeah, and so you you created one. Yeah, so I um, worked with, um, I had, actually I had a former client um, who was a designer and we worked together um, and I launched this on Kickstarter and it was funded to like, at like 130% or something. I don't know. Yeah, it went, it went well over a hundred percent, which was really cool. It was definitely a lot, uh, Kickstarters kicks. It was kind of fun. Um, and it was definitely what I needed. Like at the time I, I was coming off of like an extremely bad breakup and then like two months of my like stomach issues flaring up. And I was just like, this is like, I've been sitting inside being sad for like two months and I have to do something or I'm going to lose my fucking mind. So I started a Kickstarter um, because that's a healthy way to deal with everything. <laughs> <And> <laughs> that seems like how you deal with things. It's like, huh, things kind of seem kind of shitty. Let's start another project. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I will. I, I was actually, I was talking about this earlier today with somebody like I, I'm like a super anxious, high strung person. Um, yeah. So I'm always anxious. and like always working on managing that. And one of the ways that I manage that is like making things. And so, like, that's that's one of the reasons that I have so many projects. So, yeah, so I just, like, threw myself into the Kickstarter, and it was, like, two months of nonstop work. But it did, like, and it did, and by the end of the Kickstarter, like, I was pretty much over the breakup, and my stomach was doing better, and I was just like, hey, everything's great now. Like, it was all good at once. So, in Michelle Michelle's mind, uh, if things suck, just work more, <laughs> yeah. which is the opposite of what I do, because when things suck, I'm taking time off work to lay in bed and eat a whole fucking pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it has to be, like, it has to be, like, fun work, not, like, client work. Yeah. Um, but even, yeah, and, and I have to, it's still something, like, I have to be really hard. I have to work really hard at managing that tendency um, just because, like, even if it's all stuff that I enjoy, like, working all the time is not necessarily good. I had, yeah. like, last weekend I caught up on Steven Universe and then I watched all of The Good Place in, like, two days. <laughs> the Good Place is so it's good. It's so good. I love it. I watched the season two finale and I cried through, like, the entire two-thirds of it. The I last don't two think of it. I've gotten to the season two finale yet. It's, it's so. good. It's not, like, but... Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to pop my fingers right by the yeah, mic. That's um, fine. 
Whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. This so, isn't like an audio experience that <laughs> needs to sound good in any way. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I have like, I had that and I literally, like, I don't think I went anywhere. I did, I guess I, we recorded a Q&A episode for one of my podcasts on Saturday. So that was like an hour and a half. But other than that, it was like maximum veg time. And at the end of that, I was like, man, I feel so good and I don't know why. And it's like, oh, yeah, because this is the first weekend that I haven't worked since, like, mid-December. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, I've got myself in a bit of a bind where I'm, like, recording at least one, if not two, sessions every weekend, every day of every weekend for the rest of the month. And I'm like, I would like to, I don't know, not be working all the time. I mean, but I'm just so excited. I think that's what it is, is you get really excited about these projects that you just, like, want to do yeah. it. And the worst thing about, like, this is that, like, I got the idea, and I got the mic, and I got it on iTunes, and then I set a day for the premiere that's, like, a month, was, like, a month away, and I was like, oh, God, I want to do it now. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's part of it, too, with, like, my work sessions, is that I really like to capitalize it when uh, capitalize on it when I feel inspired, because otherwise... I'm always, which so far that hasn't really happened, but I'm always really concerned like, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to like lose this energy. And then when I try to work on this, like it's, it's going to be terrible. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's a good transition into talking about the podcast that you do. I know that you have at least two. Yes, I have at least two. I have ideas for more, but <laughs> I've, I've got enough stuff. In addition to the podcast, I'm also working on my second novel and then I have some ideas for like other things. I'm really interested in interactive storytelling, which is one of the reasons that I did an RPG podcast. So I have ideas for like some other things around that. Um, but yeah, I have, so I launched Unplaced, which is a short form audio drama about a woman who wakes up one day and finds that no one can see her, see her or hear her and that everyone she knows is forgetting about her. And that was, we launched that on Friday the 13th in um, October of 2017. And the season finale went up on January 5th. And then I also do Serendipity City with you, which is like a alt-1920s actual play RPG. I think it's, you know, pretty good. But, <laughs> I mean, I might just be biased. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe just we might bit. We might both be a little biased. I'm pretty there. sure that Vex is the best. <laughs> <laughs> I was explaining Vex to uh, our friend Dave Creaney was here taking pictures earlier. And I was explaining to him my character. And he was I was like, well, she's kind of like... She drinks a lot, and she's, like, really vulgar, but, like, deep down, she's got a heart of gold. And he's like, so you're playing yourself? <laughs> and I was like, like, a very extreme version of myself. I think that's, like, I think that's how most people play them, though. And I think it's good, because I think that gives you something to tap in on. Like, every time, basically every time I get to make a character, I'm, like, some kind of like fighty criminal but a good one like a, a good criminal You're a moral criminal yeah. yeah chaotic good chaotic good is extremely my brand yeah uh, yeah and i think that's kind of i think vex is very chaotic yeah maybe neutral i'm not sure how good i mean she she is good in like some of her personal ways but then at the same time she's kind of just like i just want to get this fucking job done so yeah yeah exactly um, yeah, so uh, tell us a little bit about your novels as well. We didn't really get into those. I know that you already have one out. Right, so I'm working on a trilogy um, called the World Slip Trilogy, which is sort of set... There are a lot of really similar themes among my stuff. Um, it's it's set in, I believe, 2014. I'd have to check all of my notes because I started working on it so long ago. It's set in like 2013, 2014. And the idea is that directly after, like, the 2008-2009 economic collapse, um, 
mysterious portals opened like all over the world and at the same time this specific subset of the population um all started exhibiting who were all teenagers all started exhibiting like supernatural powers so it's a non-fiction <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so familiar to me <laughs> and yeah so it's i'm working on the second novel um and it's like it's hard because i don't think i don't necessarily like i don't think there's no way to say it that doesn't sound self-deprecating but it's like i don't have any delusions about anything i write being like the next great american masterpiece and i'm fine with that um partially because i think that the reason that genre fiction gets shit on a lot is totally stupid and elitist and is typically um just done so that we can like uphold these extremely boring dry works by like cisgender straight white men as like the paragon of everything yeah um i did i dated a very snobby english major for like a year and a half and i have a lot of feelings about this now so (laughs) (laughs) um but (laughs) yeah so like so i don't have you know it's like i don't want to sound self-deprecating but it's like i have got really good feedback for the most part on the first novel and so i did not think that writing the second book in a series was going to be I didn't think that writing a second book in a series was going to be, like, that I would feel so much pressure because it's, like, I don't, you know, I don't have, like, hordes of people beating down the door for the second book or anything, but, like, I've got good feedback and I'm just, like, oh, no, what if, what if this one is worse? And I don't know why I didn't think that I would have that concern because that's a very Michelle thing to be concerned about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's been, it's been interesting and I, I'm, I am actively working on it. I'm like a solid like 27,000 words in, I think. So it's trekking along. It's just slower than I would like. Yeah. I mean, I think that I have been working on the same novel for about a decade and it will never be done. And in fact, at this point, I'm pretty sure that it has been done, just not by me. So <laughs> I think just like getting anything done in general is like a huge feat. And and exactly, you have been getting really good feedback on it. So I'm really excited to see where that goes for you. Yeah. And I think that um, that's kind of like one of my things of creative philosophy. I think that there are a lot of people who I think it's really easy to like expect something to be perfect and I would rather ship something, and even if it's not perfect, and start working on the next thing so that you can get better. Because there are a lot of people who, you know, um, I feel like I feel like it's really easy to get stuck in that like self doubt cycle of like, oh well, this isn't perfect. I can probably make it better. Mm-hmm. But so I try I try not to avoid I try to avoid that by just making too many things, <laughs> and then maybe one of them will be good. <laughs> And I think that there is also, the, I think you hit the nail on the head with like, if you just continue to tweak something over and over and over and over and you never get it out, then you never really know if, you know, it's like when you're looking at your own work of art or your own, you know, work, you can always see little things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a deal breaker for everyone. Yeah. Um, and I think that just doing something and getting it out there and getting the feedback is like the first step in that journey. And if you're trying to make something perfect, you're never going to succeed at that. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you don't want to put stuff that's bad out there. But at the same time, with like the first novel, of course, now I can look back and I see things that I could have done differently. Like for one thing, the there's things that I could have done with like the protagonist's sexuality. She was always intended to be bi and I could have made that more overt in the first novel. But at the same time, like I was in the closet at the time and there are, there are a lot of themes in the book that I did not necessarily, that very clearly relate to like, being in the closet and things like that that I did not even see because I was 
<laughs> also actively in the closet. So yeah, and I mean, but also that's that just gives room for more development of the character in the second yeah. book, which is great. Yeah, and I mean, at least you're not uh, J.K. Rowling who's like basically going back on Dumbledore being gay because it was a joke, and now she's like, oh shit, I don't know how much that is. There's five apparently. There's five. Fantastic Beast movies coming, which I'm like, like the first one I wasn't a huge fan of anyway, so I don't know, but I mean, I would love to see a gay Dumbledore. Yeah, like yeah, it's just it's really frustrating, like as a as a fan to be like to have this. Yeah, it feels like oh, you want to have your cake and eat it too. Like you, somebody you know, like you want to get patted on the back for having like LGBTQ characters, but not like. And, and if it was if she was like someone who didn't have the societal clout that she does, like mm-hmm. that would be one thing. If she was like. A, a smaller I know that I know that it can be really hard um for people who don't have like a lot of money or name recognition to throw around to get films made with queer characters because if it's going to be released internationally like that basically means that it's going to tank or not be shown at all in certain markets but yes. if anyone can do it it's JK, JK Rowling, Rowling can. like yeah. she gets to say what's going to be in the movie. Like, yeah. they're not going to argue with her about it because in, at the end of the day, she created Harry Potter. She made this billion-dollar universe that they're still just sucking dry with at yeah. this point, you know? I mean, yeah. I felt that, like, they, you know, when they made the last movie, like, two or three separate movies, I was like, okay, come on. Yeah. But now they're making a whole other series that's, like, five, like, five movies long. It's like, I don't know. I am a huge Harry Potter fan, so yeah. it's kind of like this weird like uh doubt in my mind where I'm like I really love Harry Potter and then at the same time there's this inconsistency where I'm like but why do we need five Fantastic Beast movies yeah a friend and I had this like conversation about it um when she was visiting me earlier this um or earlier this year yeah in January because like we're both big Harry Potter fans and it also especially in our friendship means something because like the our first friend date was going to one of the Harry Potter movies um, we have like matching or two part Harry Potter tattoos, like mm-hmm. so, and it's a huge part of my childhood. So it's something that I'm always going to love. But at the same time, I'm like, oh my god, you guys are taking this thing that I love and you're running it into the ground, like. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, I remember like I love my dad so much. Um, but you know, when I was younger, he we weren't like super close. And the way my dad so showed affection is by like bringing home gifts and things. Um, and I remember, like, I was this big nerd kid that, like, loved to read, and, um, you know, my family's not really, my dad actually reads all the time now, but at the time, you know, it just wasn't, like, that, I I was different than the rest of my family, and I remember my dad bringing me home the first three Harry Potter books. Yeah. And he was like, I heard that kids liked these books, so I got them for you, and I just, like, I'm kind of, like, getting a little bit emotional about it, because it's, like... You know, when you don't, you don't have that, like, you know, like, my brother was really into sports and, like, tools and stuff like that, and so they, they worked on stuff a lot together, and, like, you know, me and my dad, like, we had a really good relationship, and we still have a really good relationship, but we didn't have those connections yeah, just because of how different I was, and so kind of tearing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's just, and like... So Harry Potter means a whole lot to a whole lot of people, and so that being said, if we can just, you know let Dumbledore be gay, that could, you know, that could do yeah. something. It like, could not, yeah, but, you know. That's all we want. Yes. 20, it's 2018. Let Dumbledore be gay already.
everybody, it's me, your favorite podcast host, Gloria Walker. Thank you so much again for listening. I am so stoked about this project. And thank you for subscribing, if you subscribed. If you didn't, then fuck you, I hate you, get out of my life, never speak to me again. Or, you know, just subscribe now and we can still be friends. I want to say thank you to Michelle for coming on to the podcast. I love Michelle. Um, She's a very talented and very ambitious woman. (laughs) I also want to say thank you to Dave Creaney, who has taken some pictures of some of my guests. And you can actually see those photos on gashpodcast.com, which I just got finished making. There you can see links to the new episodes. You can see all of the links for all of my guests if you want to see what they're doing, as well as these really fantastic photos by Dave Creamy. And hey, if you just haven't had enough of me or you want to hear more of Michelle, then you can go ahead and go subscribe to Serendipity City. Just wherever you found this podcast, go back and search for Serendipity City. It's a 1920s-inspired, actual-play, role-playing podcast, and I play a very dirty mouth, kind of a bitch, wizard, but I have a secret heart of gold, so you definitely want to listen to it because, I mean, I think I'm pretty good. There's also Charlie and Fancy, who are also pretty great as well. And if you haven't had enough of me talking about podcasts, remember that Michelle has the whole first season of her audio drama, Unplaced, on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. So go check that out. It's it's amazing. It, it's uh, dramatic and fantastic and keeps you at the edge of your seat. So definitely go check that out. If you're a freelancer out there, then definitely check out the Freelancer Planner. I am realizing that Michelle has so many goddamn projects that this whole break is going to take like 30 minutes just for me to tell you all the things that she does. So yes, check out the planner, check out Unplaced, check out Serendipity City, check out the World Slip novels. She's working on that trilogy as well. Um, You can just go find everything she does because she's amazing. Remember to follow us on Twitter at GashPod and Facebook.com slash GashPodcast. And if you subscribe, take a picture, like a screenshot of it, and send it to me on Twitter or Facebook, and you will be entered to win a free copy of Carrie Fisher's last novel, The Princess Diarist. If you're in Austin and you're hearing this episode on February 13th, then you can absolutely make it to the release party that I'm having at St. Rock's Bar, which is at 6 in Pedernales from 8 to midnight. If you can make it there, I will be giving away 15 free drinks to the first 15 people who show me that they subscribe to my podcast. I'm probably going to get some cupcakes or something. And I also hand screen printed some shirts and I know that you want some of this gash swag. So I think that's it. I think I hit everything. So I'm going to let you get back to listening to this podcast. Bye. Okay. So as we do on Gash, we talk about women with other women and Michelle, I'm so stoked because she chose, (laughs) I had actually never heard of this person before. And so when I was starting to do my research, I was like, this is like one of the most badass women I've ever heard of. And it's Julie Dobney. She was a 17th century... She, she lived in 17th century France. Her father was actually like the lead page 
for some really fancy guy. I think it was King Louis the <laughs> Fourteenth. It was pretty fancy. He was the master of the horse. And so, like, basically, like, if you think about this guy, he was kind of like the Arlie Ernie kind of, like, badass. Like, he's the one. He was, like, the drill sergeant of all the other pages, like, making sure, like, that they were all, you know, trained and, like, taking care of the horses and all of that stuff. And I think that he passed a lot of that down to his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So... That being said, she was, like, an incredible swordswoman. She was an opera singer, and she was bisexual in a time that that was, you know, absolutely not a thing that you were supposed to be. So I just want to tell the story. You think you want to just tell the story? Yeah, so I'm going to hit the high notes from what I know. I definitely don't have it um, memorized, but I think that there are some highlights. So her dad is, like this you know um drill sergeant dude and she learned sword fighting from like a really early age and was often like often dressed in quote-unquote like boys clothing of the day um which is like somewhat scandalous in and of itself and she started i think that she started touring doing the sword fighting first um and the opera singing came later which was like a coincidence if i'm remembering right like yeah so basically when she was 14 years old her dad basically she gave her to this dude that was in the military as a uh, like a consort or a mistress and he got sent to another area to be like on base and so she ran away with her fencing coach and basically she and this guy like traveled the countryside and she they made money by her doing fencing exhibitions and she actually, they say she uh, killed at least 10 men in these duels, <laughs> which is fucking badass. And at some point, I think, I believe at one of the exhibitions, like, the crowd started heckling her because they didn't believe she was a woman. And she freaking, like, ripped open her shirt and was just like, do you believe me now? Like, and that's the, like, the best, the best thing is like, is like, you know what? Fuck you. You don't think I'm a woman? Well, here, here you go. Which... Side note, you don't have to have boobs to be a woman. Yeah. But that's a pretty badass way to show, like, you know. Because she was so good at what she did. She was so good at sword fighting. And um, oftentimes, she wouldn't, she would just wear her pantaloons. She wouldn't wear dresses. Or she liked to wear pants. So people just couldn't believe it. And those are honestly the best women in history are the ones where people can't believe you're a woman. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. There was, and there was another story, which I believe, if I'm remembering right, she, like, I don't remember how she got into the opera, but there's a story from when she was in the opera about how, like, there was somebody who kept giving her shit, and she was real t- and he kept, and then he, like, threatened to fight her or something, so she proceeded to beat the ever-loving shit out of this guy and stole his pocket watch, and the next day, he was telling the other people in the theater company about how he was jumped by a gang of three men who beat <laughs> him up and stole his watch, And she said, that's not what happened. Like, we fought. And he called her a liar. So she pulled out his fucking pocket watch and, like, (laughs) showed him up in front of everybody because he was, he had, like, tried to, uh, like, assault her or something. And she just proceeded to beat the crap out of him. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Yeah. That's just, like, like, this, I know very, I know some really badass women in my life. And I know a few of them that would definitely, like, I would put them in this category of badassery where they're like not in any way like timid about their bodies. They're not in any way timid about their strength, Um, which I think is actually really funny, you know, because we were talking about how somebody told uh, 
somebody said that I somebody said that a woman could never beat up a man. Oh my god, yeah, no, it was because it was this whole thing like oh, this is funny actually because I've had this conversation like twice because I was telling I was telling two of my friends about this this like ridiculous thing that happened on an episode of my brother and my brother and me. Somebody wrote in who it was teaching in class and a kid came into the class and was like my dad told me or somebody told me that like um, no matter what, a woman is never going to be able to beat a man. And so the this Taekwondo teacher had written into the brothers and was like, I don't know how to disavow this child of this notion without like it becoming a whole big thing. Beating up this child. Yeah. And so in the Facebook group, somebody like started a thread about this and I got into it with some guy in the Facebook comments because he was like, the fact that people are talking about using physical violence as a way to solve this problem. And it wasn't like... Nobody was seriously suggesting that somebody would beat the shit out yeah, of this kid. No one is actually, like, genuinely saying this woman should beat up a child. Yeah, there, but there was somebody who was like, oh, she should, like, get a friend to volunteer, and they should do a fight, and, like, obviously... And, and, but this guy was so aghast at it, and I'm like, it's a fucking martial arts class. Like, I've trained jujitsu. It's... You're trying... I mean, it's... You're... It's, it's a safe environment, but, like, you're fighting. It's physical violence. Like, it, that's literally all that it is. <laughs> you're, you're literally paying to learn how to cause physical violence. Yeah, and this guy was totally aghast at it, and another woman backed me up because I was just, like, he was, like, I don't understand why everybody's so upset about this. And I'm, like, okay, well, like, you should, like, you know, be two or three years into your martial arts journey and post a picture about it on Instagram and have, like, weirdo Instagram trolls come out of the woodwork just to be like, hey, I hope you know that no matter what, a a man could still beat your ass. Like, there are legitimate adult men who think that no matter how strong a woman is or how much she trains or whatever, that a man is always going to be able to beat her up. And it's like, dude... Can we put adult in, like, parentheses or, like, like air quotes? quotes, Because I'm pretty sure that no adult would talk like that on the internet. Oh, my God. Yeah, like... I mean, it's just think about the physics of it. I know grown men who are, like, five foot one and, like five foot two and like really small men and I know women that are six foot two and like basketball players and like beasts like the physics of it is just like of course there is going to be some situations in which a woman can beat up a man and vice versa yeah I mean it's just like it's like okay you say that dude but do you like do you want to go toe-to-toe with a Ronda Rousey or a Holly Holm like yes no you'll get your ass handed to you like I mean I want to see that yeah so (laughs) there was actually there's a thing I don't know if it's happened yet but there was a thing where um there was a guy there was a like random Facebook troll harassing Mm -hmm. like a women's MMA gym mm-hmm. yeah and he agreed to like go he was like I'll fight any woman and she's never going to win and they were going to like live stream it and then I think the first person who was an amateur MMA fighter um like got an injury in a previous fight so she wasn't able to do it but I hope I don't know if this has happened yet I hope it's happened and I hope that guy like gets his just gets his ass beat like seriously like yeah and I think that's like one of the the, the things about Julie Dogney that you really need to say is like she is a very tough doesn't give a shit woman and that is my kind of woman yeah um i think the other really cool thing to talk about is you know her sexuality and how she she was bisexual at a time whenever that was obviously not acceptable um and actually she so she ran away with her fencing instructor um and that's whenever she started doing those exhibitions she was singing in taverns and dueling men um when she met she got bored of him basically which 
we can all say we've gotten bored <laughs> of people. Um, especially, I can't imagine like running away with somebody and then being on the road with them. I would want to murder them. I see my boyfriend like once a week, and it's perfect, and I just <laughs> yeah. love it. Um, I need yeah. a lot of alone time. Um, so she got bored with him, and she became involved with a young woman who was a merchant's daughter, and they fell madly, madly in love. Well, the merchant, the merchant found out and was like not having it, obviously, because he's a 17th century <laughs> French man, and put his daughter in a convent. <laughs> so you would think, oh, well, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to join the fucking convent. So Julie Dari, who has been at this point in her life, like literally dueling men in taverns and singing in taverns and like beating people up and just being a total badass, joins a nunnery so that she can be with her lover. And at some point, whenever she, they, they were trying to like kind of figure out a way to, to run away, how they were going to get away. And it just so happened that after they were both in, they both joined the convent, one of the elderly nuns died, that she passed away. So our heroine, who is apparently also a genius, they and her lover take the body of this dead nun, put it in her lover's bed, and then set the convent on fucking fire. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> It's Fuck so Romeo and Juliet. I know. Like, why has there not been a movie about this woman I yet? I don't like, know. A come fucking on, Netflix Hollywood. series? Like, come I don't, on. I have no idea. And when I was doing research for this, I was like, you know, I'd never heard of her. But, you know, there are podcasts and there are articles and there's YouTube videos. People really love this character. And, you know, we don't know a whole ton about her. What we do know is really badass. And I feel like we could definitely um, expand on that and, and build something even cooler. Uh, so anyways, she was then, uh, she and that woman stayed together for like three months before the woman went back to get to be with her family and she was, um, sentenced to death by fire. But Louis the 14th, for some reason, really loved her. He loved her antics and, uh, was just kind of basically like entertained by her so much that he would always kind of get her out of trouble which I think is just so funny. So she was sentenced to death by fire, but uh, she left. She just like left and went to Paris and she just kept singing. And and uh, she would get into fights all over the, a lot of the times. Um, she would wear men's clothing um, and just kind of do whatever she wanted to. And in a society that's very, at that time was, you know, very it was pointed there was like very specific things that you had to do to be a part of society and she just said fuck it to all of them it's just you know that that kind of that kind of disregard for the status quo that that's how you make progress and i think that's just so amazing yeah yeah that just kind of like gives no fucks like at all at all yeah goals Definitely hashtag life goals. <laughs> um, then after she um, got away with basically burning down this convent, she left and went to Paris and she was singing for a while and she had she had met an older actor guy who was kind of like uh, being her mentor, but he his alcohol his alcoholism got like really bad and he sent her away to Paris. And I just have to say, like same <laughs> I've dated so many men and like watched like that were just I I have a habit of dating men that are uh, very creative and artistic but they have serious alcohol problems but anyway so when she was on her way to Paris 
in her men's, she's wearing men's clothing, she was insulted by a young nobleman. And she was, I mean, obviously, she's not going to take that, right? Because it's Julie. She ain't going to do it. So she fought a duel with him, and she ended up wounding him. So she went to, the other day, the next day, she was asking around about how he was and found out he was actually the son of the Duke of, this word, I can't say, Lunius. Lunius. And so she found out that he was the son of the Duke of this area, so she went over to his house, to his room, to apologize for hurting him, and then they became lovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, why doesn't... This is better than Game of Thrones. Why doesn't she have an HBO show? Yeah, I So mean, much violence and sex. This is a woman who... <laughs> it, literally, violence and sex really just sums up who she is. And I think this... And was, art. And art. Uh, and this specific... This specific example is just hilarious to me because it's all kind of combined because it's like she wasn't going to take nothing from nobody. And so she heard him and then she comes back and she's like, I'm sorry. And then they become lovers. It's great. And then they stay friends for life. Yeah, it's great. It's really I feel like I have like one or two things, one or two people that I have gone through that specific. I hate you. No, I don't. I don't hate you, but we're not doing that anymore. But we are good friends. Like, <laughs> I mean, actually, like, not in, like, a lover's way, but my best friend Kayla, when I first met her, I hated her. She was <laughs> dating my friend Cooper, and I went over to his house to go see, like, to go see him and, like, meet his girlfriend. And it was, like, we was, like, kind of like a party thing, um, but they ran out of beer, and it was, like, past midnight, so I couldn't buy more beer. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go to the bar. And she looks at me and she goes, you're a boring bitch. What? <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? I hate this person. Rude. So I went around and like, I told like all my friends that were friends with the guy that she, Cooper, that she was dating. Like, I don't know about her. Like, she's kind of rude. Like, I don't think I like her. And now she's my best friend in the whole world. <laughs> and I'm like... It's crazy how that just happens, like... Yeah. One of my friends... um, My friend Connie has a similar story with um, one of her good friends, who's now one of my good friends, Cody, uh, because the guy that she was dating at the time was a total trash bag human being, and he really hated Cody because he didn't like women with strong opinions. Who does? Right? Uh, so, like, she was coming over with her husband for, I don't know, it was game night or something, and Connie had been cooking all day, and Josh was like, you're gonna hate this person, and Connie was, like, wine drunk and cooking, and Cody's like, can I have some of that? And then they just, like, immediately bonded over cheap wine and baked goods, and became super good friends immediately when she, she was super braced to hate this person, because Josh was like, you're not gonna like her, she's a cranky, stuck-up bitch, and she was, like, all on guard, and then they just... Got over it through alcohol and sugar. Alcohol and sugar <laughs> is the secret to all happiness. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, she joined the opera and she eventually died, unfortunately. Um, she died really... I mean, I don't know if it's young for the time, but 33 seems pretty young. Um, no one... I, I haven't been able to find anything to tell us how she died or why she died. And no one seems to be able to find her grave. So, you know. She was also very sad. Previous, uh, I don't know how close it was to her death, but um, it seems like the last known relationship, La Marquis de Florenzac. 
<laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't, I don't speak know French. <laughs> I don't know why we chose so many for so many oh, yeah. French so that we could butcher all of their names. One thing that I do like about her, so it's interesting because like I really love so there's a couple different angles here, re her sexuality, and one of them that I really love is that like there are all of these stereotypes that that bi people get shamed with, and she was like basically all of them completely unapologetically, which I imagine it like in 17th century France, they I'm sure they didn't have like quite the same politics, but you know there's all of these stereotypes of like oh like bi women are so promiscuous and it's bad, and she just like didn't give a fuck. I love that. I also love that like it's also really interesting because historically queer people tend to get brushed over like th- which is one of the reasons that people think that like lgbtq identities are a new 20th century thing and it's like nah dude literally all of these have been a thing as long as history but when it's like one person who winds up in a monogamous relationship the rest of their life a lot of times it's like super easy it's like oh this woman like lived together with her best friend and they were roommates for 30 years and it is really easy to like brush over that and most of the time when we're reading those Um, when someone who is not straight especially is reading those historical texts they can like read between the lines but with julie there's like no way there's no way that you can whitewash this woman's history and i love that it's like Mm -hmm. nah dude you can't you cannot make any argument that that she was not straight yeah she she was a woman who definitely lived (laughs) her true self and uh i think that's a lesson that we should all learn is to just be unabashedly who we are. Um, we stop letting people tell you how you need to be and just be the person that you are. Yes. Oh, and here's here's another great highlight. Um, she had a book written about her, and apparently this celebration of sensual love, regardless of gender, was radical, and the book was banned by the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice, <laughs> which is like a great historical footnote to have something like that even happen after your death. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start an Austin Society for the uh, promotion of vice. <laughs> <laughs> Which is basically just going to the bar. Yeah, <laughs> like pretty much everybody. Austin is pretty unabashed about its vices as well. <laughs> one time I got, um, this is like a slight side note, but one time I got in, not trouble trouble, but like I got a slight talking to because one of my freelance projects was interviewing people on audio. And I was talking to this guy um, who did not live in Austin, and he had only visited. And somehow he said something. Uh, he like made some comment about the bar scene or something. And I was like, "Oh yeah, Austin. Like Austin is like a borderline alcoholic city." And and we were like talking about it. And I and I wasn't like I wasn't being like super judgy or anything. But I was just like, "Yeah, social drinking is really common here. It's really easy to fall into a pattern of like." just going out with your friends and getting drunk like five nights a week and like Mm -hmm. the culture here really supports that for better or for worse and that's not a lie yeah and it's not a lie and like i guess the the like higher up at the client like once he listened to that he was like did she just call everyone an austin alcoholics you need to tell her to back off making statements like that and i'm like you realize i live here right like yeah this is not and it's not like i came out and was like yeah everybody in austin is is all drunk all the time. Like, I didn't say it unprofessionally. I was just like, yeah, so it's this interesting thing about Austin culture. No, it's just, yeah, I mean, that is a big part of Austin culture. We have a lot of bars per capita, and it tends to be something that people do. I mean, I recently have been going out a lot less, um, which this podcast is kind of a (laughs) because of that, because I'm like, well, I don't want to go out all the time, and I really want to start this podcast, and uh, so, yeah, I 
you weren't lying for sure. It's all the musicians. Those <laughs> dirty musicians and artists. Yeah, I'm tired of them. <laughs> I hate people that have any sort of creativity. <laughs> bah humbug. That's glorious, cranky old man character. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't tell by my weird accent. <laughs> Well, so I think to sum it all up, uh, be like Julie, you do you, boo, and at the end of the day, it feels better to be who you are than it is to try to cover it up in any sort of way. Um, Don't try to adhere to society's standards. Make society adhere to your standards. And learn to fight people because it's fun. I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't know, but yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, So, uh. Thank you, Michelle, for coming on. I was so excited to have you. Um, how can they find you on the internet? Right. Um, so you'll probably, I assume there's going to be show notes with this, and you'll probably want to check the show notes for at least one of these because my name is, nothing about any of my names is made for um, sharing phonetically. Uh, so I'm at michellenicoliason.com. There's a list of all of my projects there. I'm also at underscore shellshock on Twitter, which is an extremely... Um, eclectic mix of me talking about my business writing and me talking about my podcasts and then just sharing some good gay content uh, and I'm also like on Instagram and Tumblr Michelle Shock and just go to just go to the site michellenicoliason.com and you'll find links to all the audio dramas and the novels and the nonfiction stuff and the planners I have too many projects um. <laughs> uh, definitely go and subscribe to Serendipity City because I personally think it's awesome um, and also Unplaced, again, you told you said they just wrapped up the first season. When Do you have an idea of when the second season's going to come? Hopefully March or April. I'm still working on the story right now. Once I get it scripted, I think the production time should be pretty fast this time around. Last time it was like a six or seven month turnaround, but I had a really hard time finding a reliable audio engineer. Uh, so it should be much tighter this time. I'm aiming for like March or April. And in the meantime, you can listen to all of season one uh, and get caught up in the Q&A episode. Get some behind the scenes content. Yeah, get that sweet, sweet BTS content. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, thank you again for coming on. And uh, be sure, uh, I it's not in this episode, but it's dropping with the same episode. I am giving away a copy of Carrie Fisher's new novel, The Princess Diarist. So subscribe to Gash, take a screenshot and tweet it at me at Gash Podcast. Or you can put it on Facebook, facebook.com slash Gash Pod. Um, and I will be drawing a winner on March 13th. So that gives you a month from when it premieres to go ahead and subscribe. But you should already be subscribed because this is some really good content. Yeah, subscribe. And as always, keep rocking and rolling and uh, whatnot. <laughs> <laughs>